I'm Joanna Roach, the Executive Director of the Green Spa Network. Thank you for tuning in to Vital Stories, which is brought to you in part by Nantucket's NPR station, WNCK 89.5. In today's episode, we will speak with Josh Heath of the Lodge at Woodlock about forest bathing. Welcome, Josh. Good morning. So Josh is the outdoor adventure manager for the Lodge at Woodlock, which is in Pennsylvania, but he does something really interesting. He leads the forest bathing department, (laughs) and Josh has about 16 years of outdoor experience. He's from Maine. He's a total outdoor adventure guy, and we are going to learn about forest bathing this morning. So, Josh, tell tell us a little bit about your you're growing up and your journey from Maine to Pennsylvania and, and how you got interested in outdoor adventure. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Maine. I was born in a little town of, called Chesterville. Um, it's about 1,200 people in kind of the western foothills of Maine. Um, I spent my, most of my childhood and early adulthood there and then um, went to Unity College where I studied park management and ecotourism and then um, met my wife, who's from Long Island. So that's a little bit of the journey to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was the compromise. Um, I've spent my entire life outdoors, hunting, fishing, hiking, camping. And so I applied for a job here at the lodge, um, and we kind of embarked on this force bathing piece, which we'll talk about a little more. But before that, I did a lot of our hikes and kayaking and fly fishing. And so I've really just been immersed in outdoors pretty much my entire life. I, recently, I've realized that uh, I don't know if I've really worked. I don't know if I've had a day of work. Every job I've had has been something I've absolutely loved, whether it was in the park service in Maine for five years or running an aspirations program for middle school kids for seven years or doing this job for the past eight I would consider you to be a lucky person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's something that I think a lot of people, including my parents, um, didn't have that luxury. You know, I watched my mom go to a job that she didn't like for over 35 years. So it's one thing I think that they really instilled in me is that, you know, you need to do something that you really love to do. And being outside is something that I knew I wanted to do. You know, I think in high school, I really didn't see college on my horizon. It wasn't something I really thought a whole lot about. And my guidance counselor and some mentors and football coaches were like, you need to go to college. So I went to a really small college in central Maine and just about every major was environmental focused. And then these have been the jobs I've chosen the last three I've done for about seven years apiece. And they've been either in the park service or working for a nonprofit that had an adventure-based component, or this one here where I've, I started as a guide assistant leading trips in the northern Poconos, and then I became the grounds manager for a year or two, and then I became the outdoor adventure manager for the last six. So how does your location impact your thinking about the planet? Because we're kind of in this place right now <laughs> where yeah. many, many people are concerned about the planet. Yeah, I mean, I think it really starts back home. I mean, if we go back to... My growing up in Maine, you know, I was always surrounded by nature and I spent times in state parks and there was farmland around my house where I grew up. And so just being outside and that's kind of where I think I chose these paths that have led me to this nature piece, if you will. And then in the last, I'd say the last six or seven, I've really began to think more about where are we going and what are we doing? And I think that's where forest bathing has really come into play for me, Joanna, is that this is really this last 
we as a people have never been any further from nature ever. You know, started out nomadic hunting, gathering, very in tune with nature around us. I don't care where in the world you're, you originated from. Every continent had hunting and gathering cultures. And then we moved into, you know what, I don't want to chase this food. I want to grow it. So we move into this long period. I mean, it starts in the Middle East of in this bread belt and growing and agriculture and let's kind of cultivate what's going on. And then, of course, it comes to North America with the first wave of immigration. And then we move into this long period of industrial, you know, just building and creating. And I don't want to farm. I want to work in the factory. And that's when cities began to spring up. And then now we're in this huge technology age where everybody, I don't care, like I have a very outside-centric job, but my cell phone is always six inches from my hands. You know, it's in my pocket. It's in my backpack. It's on the console of the van. So, and today's cell phones are like many computers, so you can't escape this technology unless you make a conscious effort. And that's where one, our resort comes into that play. You know, we are a, a cell phone kind of free facility. I mean, people can have them, but we really encourage people not to talk on them in all our public spaces. If people are talking on them at dinner, we politely give them this little card that kind of just talks about us being a cell phone free facility. So we really try to get people to recharge. I've had several guests that have done activities with me where they lock, once they get here, they let their family know they're here and they put their phone in the safe and it stays there their entire stay. They don't pull it out until the very end. They go around and take the pictures they want to take and then they check out and leave and they go back to their kind of immersion into technology. But it's just a little bit of a recharge and forest bathing is that kind of outlet where really it's a nature immersion. We are really taking two or three hours to reset that immersion, to find that little kid that's in you that we all lost somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. So it's also a bit of a digital detox. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where it's really, I mean, if you look at the, the planet piece, we have to start to be in tune with nature again. We are not, there's not a balance between our human kind of consumption of nature and what's going on outside of that. You know, if you just look at some of the recent natural disasters that we've had, you know, the magnitude of these disasters have been at all-time highs that we've never seen these kind of devastations. Some of it is just the amount of people and buildings that we have. You know, if these natural disasters fall over natural lands, automatically the cost of them go extremely down, but we've built closer to the coast. We try to find ways to get closer and closer. We've destroyed wetlands. These storm surges have to come in, and there's no place to go but into buildings and people. So let's back up a little bit, and let's share with the audience, what exactly is, you know, forest bathing or nature bathing? Sure. How did so, it start? Yeah, so forest bathing or, or shinrin-yuku, that's another word that you'll see it there. Shinrin-yuku is the Japanese word. It actually means forest bathing, so shinru, shinrin is forest, and yuku is bathing. So it's a direct translation into English. It's been in Japan for, for decades, formally since 1982. One of the forest ministers in Japan wanted a way to get, especially the residents in Tokyo, outside, spending a little more time, so he did a lot of research. He met with shinrin-yuku masters, and what they told him was to build trails that were more designed for a sensory experience and not a hiking kind of an athletic experience. We don't want to go fast. We want to go really slow. We want to have these opportunities to sit by waterfalls or running water or natural environment, rocks, trees, things where you can kind of have these connections with and open your senses, all of them, including the ones that we often forget. You know, we all know about sight 
and taste and smell and touch and hearing. But where we've kind of really forgotten is that imaginative sense and those intuitive senses. We don't use them enough. We don't listen to our guts and we don't create. We just, it is what it is, so that's what we do. And that intuitive sense, that's where I reference the little kid. Little kids imagine like crazy. They have crazy imaginations. And at some point, we stop doing that. Whenever we decide that, we lose that little kid. And a little bit of us continues to disappear. But what I find is when I get people outside, they begin to see and look and feel things like little kids again. And they really have a lot of fun. And there's some benefits, a lot of them actually. Um, the trees put off a compound called phytocides. So that phytocides is the natural killer cell of the tree. It protects the tree against bacterial and fungal infections. Um, but what's really neat is as we breathe that in, if we're in the forest, we immerse ourselves in these trees. When we breathe that in, it raises our killer cell, our T cell. And one of the things that the T-cell goes to work on is our cortisol level, and that's our stress hormone. And we know from the studies that have done in this country for the last probably 45 years, stress is a leading cause of heart disease, depression, anxiety, stroke, and many of the autoimmune diseases that people suffer from. So if we can lower the stress in our bodies, these things sometimes can take care of themselves, or most of the time can significantly decrease. And most forest bathing walks are three hours long, um, hours or two. Here at the lodge, we do them for two hours. And the studies have showed that the effects will stay in your body up to a week of just going outside and breathing. And I often tell our guests who leave, lead very busy lives. Many of our guests come from the major metro cities on the East Coast. And, you know, three hours can be a large chunk of time. And I say just give yourself a half an hour. If there's a park on the way home, if there's a stop on the subway that's by a park, if it's public transport, stop, get out, do your sit spot, which is a, a very important part of forest bathing. Then get back on and, and, and continue on your day. Use your lunch break. Get outside. Mm -hmm. What is that What is that word you just used? Which one? Sit, sit spot? For, oh, sit spot, yeah. Yes. So tell yeah. us what that, what's that? All right, so... The sit spot is a part of the, the three-hour session, and what we do is we, we send you on your own to a spot in the forest that, that you feel is calling out to you, that you want to go sit at, and we just kind of sit there, and there's not a lot of homework. There's not a lot of any additional invitations. Those are the things that we use to get people to um, see or smell or touch or taste um, in the forest a little different. We give them an invitation. There's no invitation to the sit spot. You're going to go and try to stay out of your head and just make these connections with the forest. Sometimes people get big epiphanies in these sit spots. They find things, answers to problems that they were looking for, or they just realize they feel better, or they drift off to a distant memory. I've had people come back and share about when they were sitting there, they felt like they were in connection with a parent or a sibling or an uncle that they haven't seen or is no longer here and they have these kind of conversations, if you will, um, why they're by themselves, and then they come back. And sometimes they share them, sometimes they don't. Wow. So it's very meditative as well. Yes, yeah. Um, I think the, you know, the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, um, which is the leading training organization right now in the world, 
they try to stay away from some of these other big buzzwords that tend to go with these other activities. But I often feel like that it's a very slow version of a walking meditation. You're really, there's a little bit of a guided breathing, not a ton. Um, now that changes by instructor. Some instructors that have, they have a very big yoga and meditation background. I do not. I have a, I have a nature background. Um, but I definitely, my first 20 minutes of my activity is very much led in the way of guided breathing and trying to find that kind of balance, that center, um, when we get out there and kind of get grounded in the forest. Um, I lead a, a standard sequence activity called um, Pleasure of Presence, where I work the senses, where I have people, I invite people to close their eyes if they're comfortable, and then we work through smell and hearing and taste and touch and feel. And then we turn in each direction. It takes me about 15 to 20 minutes to work through that um, invitation. And then we move into what's called a, what's in motion, which is a very, very slow walk, um, like baby steps. And we cover anywhere between 30 and 50 yards of trail, maybe 100 in a very slow. Could be could take me 20 minutes to walk that 100 yards. And um, inviting people to, to see what's in motion, to look, to touch, to stop to look up, to breathe, going so slow that you don't have to worry about the placement of your feet, mm-hmm. that you're not concerned with falling. Because I've led a lot of hikes here, I, thousands, and that is the number one concern that I see with people who hike. They're walking really fast. They're trying to burn calories. They're trying to, you know, let's get as many steps as we can. i got to fill up my app on my iPhone, and they're missing – this immersion, they're outside, but they're missing that immersion. That's where forest bathing differs from hiking. Right. We are not burning calories. We're not counting steps where it's not about the distance. It's about the immersion in those senses, like being in that forest, breathing, listening, wandering, sitting, um, feeling, touching, tasting. I mean, that's where the tea piece comes in. We haven't talked about that yet, but we do a a Japanese-inspired tea ceremony at the end of every walk. Mm. So we make we make tea from the forest plants, and then we share that with our guests. Um, some people, you know, you get a little eyebrow raising when you start picking plants and putting them in boiling water, but after a while, if people keep an open mind. And, <laughs> of course, the importance is knowing what plants they are. And Yeah, so what's it, tell me what some typical plants you make the tea from. Yeah, I mean, for me... We have about 600 acres that I can use here at the lodge at Woodlock. So I use, in the summertime, we have beautiful gardens. So I will I'll harvest our mints, the chocolate mint, the peppermint, spearmint, um, orange mints. I'll take a lot of our mints because they're just so readily available to me. Um, and then in the shoulder in the winter season, so fall, winter, and spring, I'm using a lot of um, our more tree plants that are here so i'm using black birch mm-hmm. i'm using winter green and i'm using um eastern white pine those are my go-to um species they're very readily available i don't have to worry about um depleting that resource 
Um, they're everywhere here on our property. I know the source is safe because I know what we do for herbicides and pesticides, which is none. So I know that that's not going into the plant. That's a very important piece. If people want to do tea in a city park is talking to your park superintendent, knowing what's put in the ground, because mm-hmm. that might not be the best because you don't want to ingest herbicides and pesticides. Right. Um, so you want to make sure your sources are as green as they can be. So when, when people finish with the, the forest bathing and the tea yeah. ceremony, what do you think they take away from this experience? Um, I often hear, I mean, these are the three things I think I hear the most um, from guests is that they're, they're really happy. I'll hear that a lot. Man, I'm in a really good mood. I'm really happy. Um, the other one is, wow, I didn't realize I was holding on to so much. And then the third that I hear almost every walk is, I don't think I've ever walked this slow in the woods. I can't believe what I noticed today. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the three big ones. I hear them all the time is that people realize they're going too fast. When, when they're being led, and that's the benefit of going with a guide, I, my number one job is to slow you down. Like, it's not a nature walk. Like, I'm not, my number one job is not to tell you everything that we walk by. It is to slow you down, to get you to go at a pace that I know you might be uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell that this is, whew, this is outside your box. It's outside your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. You don't usually walk this slow. And for a lot of guests, that's, that's the most powerful thing is that, you know, where we go on property, I had two, I had a mother daughter last week. They had walked the same trail that we walked. They went on their own. They took a walk, you know, because we have 600 acres. They can kind of walk around if they want. It's all labeled. Most of it's got maps on it. It's trails are all labeled. They're 50 to 60 inches wide. They're nice and wide. And um, about halfway through the walk, she said to me, you know, we walked this yesterday. But I didn't, um, I didn't see any of this. Mm-hmm. She goes, we were just talking and we were walking. And I was just talking to my daughter. I haven't seen her in a, in a few weeks. She's been at college. And you know, we lined up this trip, and I just can't believe what I'm noticing. It's almost like we didn't really even walk over here. So really, you're, you're cultivating a sense of mindfulness in people. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, and that's one of the things that I talk about. I don't care if you do. I mean, I make a real big emphasis in my walks to not go very far from the lodge. I, I, I have 600 acres. I could go miles and miles away. And I'm usually within a half a mile of this building because I want our urban residents to realize that there are beautiful parks in all of our urban landscapes. And you can just take the public transit to your park and you can go out and you can do this mindfulness. You just have to block out some of the distractions. And that's a lesson in life. Right. There are things that are going to bug you. And if you let them consume you, you won't notice the other little things. Right. You just won't. Right. So I think, you know, really, forest bathing is, forest bathing is accessible to anybody. I mean, yes. I think that's really one of the takeaways because no matter where you live or no matter where you live in the world, you have the ability to be in nature somewhere and the ability to connect with mindfulness. Yeah. 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 And there are 600 guides trained around the world right now. You know, mm-hmm. from, from Spain, Portugal, mm-hmm. New Zealand, um, there's a lot in North America, mm-hmm. of course, Japan and South Korea. 
I mean, there it's growing. It's everywhere. You you can have that. I mean, what I love about the European Union is that if you're in Spain and your guys in Portugal, it's still not that far. Right. You know, you can travel. There's a lot here on the East Coast. There's some there's some what for your audience. You know, right in right now, there's some beautiful guides in in the New England area. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just some really nice. Um, up and down the East Coast, the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, if you go to their website, they have a guide map, and you can locate guides in your region. Okay, that's a great tip. <laughs> so, Josh, what do you think the most important thing we can do for the planet is? Oh, I think um, first it's going to start, it has to start local. I, I really think that that's a, it's just not a tagline. It's just, it, it, it's just not a marketing thing. It's, it's real. Support your local farmers. Um, get out, get involved. Um, if your community or your city allows you to have an edible landscape, convert your landscape that you spend thousands of dollars a year in into an edible landscape, fruit trees, um, greens, where you can go out and harvest parts of your own meals in there. Um, look at sustainable options. Um, support green and sustainable companies um, get involved, and then if you want to go the political route, get involved in local and then state and then federal elections. But it has to start right in your backyard and then creep out into your county and then your state and then your region. Look at your federal legislators, especially right now. I mean, we're, we're really close to these midterms. What What is their stance? What is their environmental voting record if they're an incumbent um, Mm-hmm. What are they? What are they? What are they doing for the big picture? I mean, we've. I just read an article last week, you know, about Carter and President Carter and the the solar panels and you know where we would have been if we stayed on that launch in the seventies. Yeah. You know, we'd be looking at something that's not still has rebates. We'd be looking at kind of a common practice, but because we keep you know, kind of, eh, it's a trend. I don't know. Moving it to the bottom of the list. <laughs> yeah, instead of keeping it right at the top and, and, and you know, putting our energy and our, all our very intelligent people involved in this, this grassroots, what's have been grassroots for years now, and it should be a mainstay. I think that's really the big piece. Um, but I, to me, for me, it has to start local. Mm-hmm. Growing food, looking at things you do, making environmental consciences. If you have a commute like I do, look at the eco rating of your vehicle. Right. I mean, I would love to drive a great big diesel pickup every day. <laughs> I mean, I would. I'm six foot four, two hundred and seventy five pounds. I love that kind of vehicle. But no, I drive a small vehicle. I get great gas mileage. It's eco friendly because. I have a 30-mile commute every day. Right. Those are decisions you have to – those are decisions that you can make. Look at your carbon footprint in your own home. What kind of fuels you are you burning? What can you do to, to change your own carbon footprint? Can you carpool? Can you, what, what can you do to change your carbon footprint? Well, Josh, you are making a difference, and I'm really glad to hear that. It's been very nice chatting with you. Yes, I've enjoyed it as well. Thank yes. you so much for your time. 
So if you've been listening, I'm Joanna Roach. Our show is called Balancing Act. We're on 89.5 WNCK, Nantucket's public radio. And I've been talking with Josh Heath, who's the outdoor adventure manager at the Lodge at Woodlock, which is in Pennsylvania. But his specialty is forest bathing. And in this segment of our show, we've definitely learned a lot about forest bathing. So thank you, Josh. Thank you. Vital Stories is supported in part by Living Earth Crafts, the world's most recognized manufacturer of spa and beauty salon equipment. Since 1973, LEC has led the way in true product innovation by marrying sustainable manufacturing, comfort, function, and style.